And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether you're listening live over at Joy620 or you listen to the podcast at investinghope.com. You can find the show at Podbeam, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Just look up Hope Resource Center, Conversation on Life uh, with Andrew Wood. Uh, any of those things, you should be able to find the show. If not, the easiest way is just go to investinghope.com and you can find it there. We are, uh, man, if you, if you are listening locally, goodness gracious, the rain, uh, we're having it right here in Knoxville. And so, uh, I, my wife is actually in Atlanta. She, she went down to Atlanta yesterday and she'll be back, uh, late tonight. And so when the storm started last night, I kept waiting for my kids to come and join me in the bed because I thought it's lightning, it's thundering, it's loud, it's raining hard. And I waited. They never came. I thought, wow, they're, they're really sleeping through it. Then about 5.15 this morning, uh, there my door opens and my, uh, two little girls come in. My youngest was already in bed with me. My two little girls come in. My oldest, my son, uh, never woke up, never bothered him at all, but, uh, but yeah, so it's been, it's been doing that pretty much all day. Hopefully you're being safe out there. I know that in, in Pigeon Forge and Sevier County, they've had some, uh, fires that have started because of, uh, of lightning. And I think they had to rescue a couple people that, that had their vehicles flooded. And so look, you know, even on the way to the station today, I was, uh, there was a sign up that said, do not enter. I'm not in my van today. So if I was in my van, if I'm honest, I probably would have entered and, and drove through the puddle. Um, but, but pay attention to those signs. You don't want to, you know, don't ever get too arrogant or cocky or think that, hey, I can, my vehicle will make this. The, the last thing you want to do is uh, get swept away or ruin your vehicle or, or whatever. So uh, be safe out there. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're just going to have rain for uh, a, maybe the rest of the day and then a slight chance tomorrow. And then it's going to uh, clear up, I think, toward the end of the week. And look, listen to me. I'm, I'm being a radio guy. It's going to clear up the rest of the week and then. Uh, we are going through one of those other uh, tree winters, I think, where it's going to be in the 40s in the evenings the rest of the week. And then finally, I think we'll be done and summertime will be will be here very soon. And so looking forward to that. We got a lot to talk about today. There's some uh, news going on in the state of Tennessee that, that for pro-lifers, I think you'll appreciate and you want to hear. There's also things happening around the country. There was a archbishop that came out and made a pretty bold statement concerning Catholics and pro-life and Catholic politicians in particular uh, in talking about life and abortion and, and glad to see that. We're going to talk about that. It's actually Nancy Pelosi's uh, archbishop there in San Francisco. And so uh, making a bold statement about life and where Catholic politicians should stand on the issue. So we've got a lot to talk about. I, I do, before I get into some of the news of the day, I do want to mention that last Thursday we had our A Night with Hope event, and many of you watched that and, and participated and, and gave and partnered with us at Hope Resource Center, and we're so grateful uh, for you. If you didn't get a chance to watch the event, you can find it at investinghope.com. You can also find it uh, over on YouTube at our YouTube page. You can find it on our Facebook page, Instagram. You're going to be able to find it in a lot of different places. So we, we encourage you to go back and watch that if you haven't already. It's about 25 minutes long, so it's not going to take a, a, a ton, a, a large part of your day. Uh, but man, the stories are, are amazing. So we'd love for you to go to watch that and, and partner with us in 2021. Um, a lot of you already have, but but if you haven't, we would love for you to do that. So right now, I want to focus on some news in the state of Tennessee. This article is over the Tennessean. Uh, you can find it at tennessean.com. Uh, the 48-hour 
abortion waiting period law still active during the appeal. So uh, a federal appeals court ruled Friday, that's last week, Tennessee's 48-hour waiting period for an abortion can remain in effect while the state appeals a federal judge's ruling from last year. The ruling was made by the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit and comes after a federal judge ruled in October that a 2015 Tennessee law requiring anyone seeking an abortion to make two trips to a clinic unconstitutional. The law, which is now back in effect, requires a woman seeking an abortion first to be counseled by a doctor in person and then wait at least 48 hours before returning for for an abortion. Attorneys representing three of the state's abortion providers called the law a, quote, mandatory timeout that stigmatizes women seeking abortions, imposes particularly tough burdens on low-income women, and delays abortions until later in pregnancies when medical risk rise. Attorneys for the state argued in the waiting period lawsuit that the restriction was akin to other, quote, informed consent laws that ensure patients understand the procedure before undergoing treatment. Senior Federal District Judge Bernard A. Friedman in October ruling found, quote, the the legislature had no data suggesting that women seeking abortions lack the information necessary for responsible decision-making or that medical professionals had identified a problem regarding a lack of information, end quote. Tennessee is also being sued over other controversial reproductive access laws signed by Governor Bill Lee in July 2020. The laws include requiring abortion clinics to post a sign in the waiting area and in patient rooms informing people that it may be possible to reverse a medication abortion. District Judge William L. Campbell halted the rollout of the abortion restrictions less than an hour after Lee signed the measure into law and later issued a preliminary injunction blocking the state from implementing the law while the courts rule on the case. And so, yeah, the, the, look, the reason why we passed the 48-hour waiting period law is because this is more than, look, if, if you went out today and you played basketball and, and you know, you think you're, you're just as good as you were when you're 17 and now you're in your 30s and you're just out there balling and you go up to make uh, a layup or you make a cut to get around a, a screen, and you blow out your knee and you tear your ACL. You, you, you will go to a doctor and, and the doctor may recommend surgery. But you may go, you know what? You know, it feels a little bit better. I think I want to get another opinion. So maybe I don't need as, as an intense surgery as, as they're calling for. So I'm going to go get another opinion. Or you may say, look, you know, you don't have to do that today. You can wait 48 hours. The, the reality is when it comes to a knee surgery, when it comes to a hip surgery, when it comes to some of the things that we do on a, on a regular basis as society, it's not necessarily life and death. But, but when you go and, and you, you, you walk into an abortion clinic and you say, look, I think I may be pregnant and you get a pregnancy test and then they are pushing abortion on you and you're just not really sure what you want to do. What's wrong with waiting 48 hours? Because, folks, this is life and death. If they go through with it right then and there, a life has been ended. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what happens. That is what a successful abortion is. That's what we talked about week after week, month after month, year after year on this show. That is what a successful abortion is. That means a life was there and now it's not. You were pregnant and now you're not. So so to to just jump into that life and death situation, that life and death decision without saying, hey, don't put, 
put the brakes on for a second. Put the brakes on and let's decide if this is what you want to do or not. Look, even if you're an abortion doctor, even if you're the one performing the abortions, why not say you don't have to make that decision today? Here, here's what can be done, but you don't have to make that decision today. No, no. You see what the abortion industry is doing and what they've been doing is they want you to make that decision right then and there because they know that once you walk out of that building, you may change your mind. And if you change your mind, we lose money. That's what they think. That's what they know. If you walk out that this building and you talk to a, a pastor or you talk to a neighbor or you talk to a, a friend or you talk to your baby daddy or you talk to your mom or you talk to your dad or you talk to your brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your friends, whoever it may be, someone may say something to you that makes you question the decision that you're about to make. We see it often. We also see patients come in and say that, that they don't want to have their baby and they get an ultrasound at Hope and they see their baby on the screen and they change their mind right then. But you see, if you don't have that built-in time frame, then there is no changing of the mind. So they're, they're fussing and they're upset about this law because they know, they know that once that person walks out of the abortion clinic without an abortion, the chances of them coming back just went down. So so it isn't about women's health. It isn't about, oh, you're slapping them on the wrist or or this is too much of a burden on on those that, that fall in the poverty line. No, no, it's not that. It's we know if they walk out of this abortion clinic without getting an abortion, the chances of them coming back are very slim. And we don't want them to, to do that. We want to provide the abortion right now because the last thing this woman needs that, that's in poverty is a baby. The last thing this student, this single student at UT needs is a baby to hold her back. You, you see, that's the messaging that they put forward. But that's not what their attorneys are arguing because that wouldn't work well. And then you got activist judges. You got activist judges that an hour after Pre- Governor Lee signs a piece of legislation, an hour after the, the judge is already saying, oh, well, we got to fight this. Now, is that what the judges should be doing? So this is two weeks in a row. We've talked about the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Last week with Down Syndrome and a bill in Ohio. And this week with with the 48-hour waiting period. They came out and said, no, you know, while this is in the courts, Tennessee can enforce that law. Again, folks, this this isn't, this shouldn't be that difficult. It shouldn't be that difficult. This is life and death. This isn't an ACL surgery. This isn't getting your wisdom teeth taken out. This is life or death. If they, if they get an abortion, the life of that baby, a baby that was never created before, will never be created again, that life is gone. That baby is no longer with us. So to flippantly make that decision without any buffers in there, well, that's just nonsense. The the role of government is to protect its people, whether that be in times of war, whether that be in times of pandemics, whether that be in times of uh, of 
natural disasters with tornadoes and hurricanes and, and floods and all the like. Look, the, the role of the government is to protect its people. Now, now I would argue the role of the government should then be to protect the unborn. Well, how can that be? You, you can't say that, that the government should have laws on the books that protect beings that are growing in a womb that aren't lives. Well, 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 hold on. We already have laws on the books that protects the unborn. If a woman, even if she's driving to an abortion clinic in the state of Tennessee and she is pregnant and is hit by a drunk driver, guess what? How many, how many deaths is the drunk driver going to be charged with? One or two. He's going to be charged with two deaths. Why? Because in, in causing that accident, he killed the life of a mom. And the life of her baby, even if she was on her way to an abortion clinic to end the life of that baby. So, so we already have laws on the books that protect the unborn. Just this week, we've seen a, uh, out of, uh, I think it was Puerto Rico, a boxer. His girlfriend gets pregnant. He gets an accomplice and they go and get the girlfriend. He punches her in the stomach and injects her baby with the, with something to kill the baby. So he initially gave her a forced abortion. Then he threw her over a bridge into the water. How many deaths is he being charged with? Two. So so there's already laws in the books across the country. There's laws in the books even in pro-abortion states that protect the life of babies in the womb. All Tennessee is saying is, look, we just think there should be a 48-hour waiting period. Now, now, granted, Tennessee also wants to see abortion ended completely, which I agree with. But in the meantime, we're, we're passing pieces of legislation that are slowly getting to that place. And so thank you to the courts that are allowing this to happen. Now, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but But that's where we are right now. And so these are the things that we need to be paying attention to. These are the conversations that can be had when we see the uh the nonsense that comes out of well we can't have laws in the books that protect lives in the womb that aren't even lives when when the response to that should be well guess what we already have laws in the books that protect lives that are growing in the womb we do so why can't we make things consistent we'll talk more when we come back So as we continue the conversation, as we do every single week, talking about life and abortion, look, the the important thing to, to know is there are certainly laws in the books that are uh, at a state level and at a federal level that make no sense that are uh, uh, that 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 don't mash up that that doesn't you know when you when you just read it and go hold on that doesn't line up with with other laws why do we have this one why do we have that one uh, it's the same thing when it comes to voter ID. You know, there's, you know, even when people are talking about uh, vaccine passports, well, you're going to have to show your ID for that. You, you, when you go get a vaccine, you got to show your ID. When you when you go to a doctor's appointment, a lot of times they ask for your ID, but but for whatever reason, if you say, hey, you should show your ID to to vote, people start calling you crazy and radical and all these things. You see, things just don't make sense. 
You know, when I go to Dollywood, I got to show my ID. It just, it's just what you have to do. And, and yet we, we find ourselves going, well, hold on. This law doesn't, doesn't match here. And, and, and that doesn't work. And why do we have that one? Why do we, you know, and, and so the, the 48 hour waiting period is a common sense piece of legislation. And it's simply saying, look, this is a life and death decision that you're making considering abortion. And we just think you should take a few days because after all, the government is tasked with protecting its citizens. And in the state of Tennessee, the government would say the unborn in this case deserves protection. And so we're going to do everything we can within the rules of law to protect the unborn. And I say hats off to them. Now we're going to shift gears and look at something going on at a national level that frankly has been in, in the works for quite some time. Any, anytime you see, uh, people like President Biden, uh, Speaker Pelosi, who, who's claimed to be devout Catholic, that's their claim. Look, you know, they will tell you, Biden will tell you, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a devout Catholic. Biden for a long time would say personally, I'm pro-life, but, but I don't think piece of, uh, you know, legislation should restrict women from getting an abortion. For a long time, Biden was for restrictions at, at 20 weeks. For a long time, Biden was for the Hyde Amendment. And then, you know, he decides to run for president, uh, not too long ago and all of that changed. And so what, what they're saying, what, what these democratic, uh, leaders are saying is we have to divorce ourselves from our faith. We have to divorce ourselves from our religion. We have to divorce ourselves from our church, uh, when it comes to the voting booth, when it comes to voting on legislation. And, and it's interesting because a lot of times you hear that and you don't hear a pushback from the Pope and you don't hear a pushback from pastors and, and other folks. Uh, but what we have here is we have in San Francisco, Archbishop Salvatore Cordillon said recently that priests should deny communion to pro-abortion Catholic public figures who are, quote, unwilling or unable to abandon their advocacy for abortion. He goes further. If you find that you are unwilling or unable to abandon your advocacy for abortion, you should not come forward to receive Holy Communion. To publicly affirm the Catholic faith while at the same time publicly rejecting one of its most fundamental teachings is simply dishonest, end quote. <clears throat> Cordillon's rebuke of public figures who support abortion came in a 17-page letter on Saturday titled, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He did not name any such figures, though one of the archbishop's or the archdiocese's most famous parishioners, uh, parishioners, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a longtime abortion advocate. President Joe Biden also calls himself a pro-abortion Catholic, despite the church's teaching on the issue. The archbishop goes further, if their participation in the evil of abortion is not addressed forthrightly by their pastors, this can lead Catholics and others to assume that the moral teaching of the Catholic Church on the sanctity of human life is not seriously held. The constant teaching of the Catholic Church from her very beginning the repeated exhortations of every pope in recent times up to and including Pope Francis, the frequent statements by the bishops of the United States all make it clear what the teaching of the Catholic Church is in regard to abortion. He adds that pastors should call Catholic public figures to, quote, conversion and to warn them that if they do not amend their lives, they must answer before the tribunal of God for the innocent blood that has been shed. Cordelion said doing so can occur via private conversations, quote, between the erring Catholic 
and his or her parish priest or bishop, but said that the sad truth is that such discussions often yield little change, thus leaving it easy for the individual to continue participating fully in the life of the church and bringing scandal upon other Catholics. Because we are dealing with public figures and public examples of cooperation and moral evil, this correction can also take the public form of exclusion from the reception of Holy Communion, the Archbishop wrote. He went further, when other avenues are exhausted, the only recourse a pastor has left is the public medicine of temporary exclusion from the Lord's table. This is a bitter medicine, but the gravity of the evil of abortion can sometimes warrant it. I tremble that if I do not forthrightly challenge Catholics under my pastoral care who advocate for abortion, both they and I will have to answer to God for innocent blood. Cordelion's letter came days after the Associated Press reports that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops will convene a national meeting in June to discuss whether to tell Biden and other high-pro-Catholic politicians not to receive Holy Communion at Mass if they continue to be public advocates of abortion. Because President Biden is Catholic, it presents a unique problem for us, Archbishop Joseph Nonman of Kansas said. It can create confusion. How can he say he's a devout Catholic? And he's doing these things that are contrary to the church's teaching. Yeah. Applause all the way around. I, I mean, you, it couldn't have been said better. And, and that's the reality, folks. Look, look, if you're going to claim to be a devout Catholic or a Christian, there are certain tenets that, that those faiths hold. If you claim to be a Muslim, there are certain tenets that those, those things hold. And so when you claim these things and then you go the opposite direction, when you claim I'm a devout Catholic, but I'm also pro-abortion, those things don't mesh. I would say when you claim to be a Christian and then you are also pro-abortion, those things don't mesh. And so what do we do? Well, it takes stances like this, bold statements. Now, will it do anything? What, what will happen when they convene and have a meeting and say, should we call on the president of the United States to, to refrain from taking communion? Should we call on, on that? I mean, think about the, the, the position that's going to put the church in, the Catholic church in when, when Joe Biden goes to mass and, and you're going to have a priest, you're going to have someone say, no, sir, no president, you cannot take communion. Because of your stance on abortion. Now, are they willing to do that? Because you know that when that day comes, the media is going to be all over it. The New York Times is going to be all over it. Every pundit is going to be all over it. They're going to call them all kinds of names. And so, where are we when it comes to this issue? That That's the... That's the problem I have is, is the inconsistency. I mean, it, it isn't just with abortion. It's with a whole host of issues. This president and, and others that, that are within power in D.C. hold very interesting positions when it comes to marriage, when it comes to uh, transgender, when it comes to abortion. I mean, they hold some very interesting positions that, that I find hard to reconcile with biblical teaching. 
with a biblical worldview. Now, now you could, you could argue that some of those other issues, there's some gray area. But guess what, folks? There's no gray area when it comes to abortion. You can read everything the Catholic Church has ever put out, and they've never been kind of wishy-washy when it comes to abortion. Ever. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I applaud the Archbishop there in San Francisco that, that I'm sure is going to take some heat and some fire from a lot of folks in that area, but to boldly say, look, if we must, we will say you can't take communion if you're going to stand in opposition to the church when it comes to abortion. We'll be back. So yeah, a lot of things happening around the country. A lot of, a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to abortion. We're seeing a lot of move, movement in the right direction. You're seeing conservative states that are getting closer and closer to the end of legislative session here in Tennessee. We're getting closer and closer to the end of legislative session and you're seeing some things happen. Some, uh, some movement when it comes to life. And, and then of course you're seeing blue states, uh, liberal states go the other direction when it comes to life. So a lot of that's going to shake out in the next few months, weeks, or in years. But, uh, but even now what we're seeing, and I've talked about this before and I'm going to have this guy on, uh, on the show at some point, but there's a fella out of Texas that is, that is working with local, uh, city councils to create sanctuary cities. Now, when, when some of you hear sanctuary cities, you, you're thinking immigration. So you're, you think maybe that, you know, there's places in Texas, there's places in California that have created sanctuary cities for, uh, illegal immigrants. And so what they're, what they're doing in those sanctuary cities is they're not enforcing, uh, immigration law. And so if they arrest someone and, and they, they find that they are here illegally, they will let them go. And, and so it creates an incentive to come to those particular cities because they'll be protected. Well, there's a, there's a, a fellow down in Texas that is doing this, but doing it for the unborn. So creating sanctuary cities for the unborn where abortion is not allowed. And they're doing it by city ordinance. They're, and, and most of this has occurred. It's occurred in Tennessee. It's occurred in a lot of places around the country. But most of it has happened in very small towns, very small towns, very small cities, you know, small city councils, uh, town councils that are voting on this. Uh, but last week we saw the biggest city so far, and that city is Lubbock, Texas. Uh, Texas Planned Parenthood leaders said their Lubbock facility will remain open after voters in the city approved a sanctuary for the unborn ordinance to ban Abortion. So voters in Lubbock, Texas sent a strong message to the abortion industry on Saturday when they overwhelmingly approved a sanctuary for the unborn ordinance on the election ballot. Residents voted 62%. So anyone arguing, oh, well, let the people vote, you know, because that's what you hear a lot of times. Your people on the left say, look, let the people vote. Well, that's what we did. And look what happened. 62% in favor of the pro-life ordinance, which outlaws abortions within city limits, according to the unofficial election results uh, reported by Fox 44 News. Lubbock, a population of 258,000 plus, is the largest city in America to pass the ordinance, joining 25 other cities in Texas and Nebraska. We are grateful that the voters of Lubbock voted so overwhelmingly to outlaw abortion and affirm the sanctuary or the sanctity of human life. Mark Lee Dixon 
director with Right to Life of East Texas and founder of the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn Initiative, told Life News. He went further. He said, we congratulate everyone who worked so hard to pass this ordinance and produce such strong turnout for this historic election. City residents, pro-life advocates, and local churches worked together to pass the ordinance after Planned Parenthood opened an abortion facility in Lubbock last fall. In November, the Lubbock City Council rejected the pro-life ordinance, but residents organized the petition to have the ordinance placed on the election ballot instead. The Church of Jesus Christ banded together, stepped up to their role, their God-given role, and said, we're not going to let babies be killed in our city. And they got it on the ballot. The vote and similar pro-life ballot measures in other states demonstrate that Americans want unborn babies to be protected from abortion. The results also disprove the abortion industry's claims about strong public support for Roe v. Wade and abortion on demand. Now that the ordinance is passed, pro-lifers are urging Planned Parenthood to abide by Lubbock's voters' decisions and stop doing abortions in their city. Planned Parenthood and its supporters also worked hard to get their supporters to the polls. And we congratulate them on their efforts. Dixon said, now that the voters have spoken, we expect Planned Parenthood to respect the outcome of this election and cease providing abortions at its Lubbock clinic. I mean, that's that's what we've been told to do, right? Respect elections and when the voters vote, just fall in line. But Planned Parenthood spokeswoman Sarah Wheat suggested that they plan to do the opposite. She said, we are committed to expanding access to abortion and will provide abortion services when possible in Lubbock. The American Civil Liberties Union of Texas also issued a statement that hinted at a possible lawsuit. The ACLU has a long history of challenging unconstitutional abortion bans and will continue to fight to protect the fundamental rights of the people of Lubbock. Now, now granted, the people don't include unborn people, people that are growing inside of wombs. It's interesting. The ACLU say they fight for human rights, but, but not, not at your beginning stage. I mean, we're not going to fight for humans that are growing. We only fight for humans that are out of the womb. That's nonsense. Absolute and utter nonsense. But abortion is not a right, and the residents of Lubbock made that clear when they voted to protect the rights of unborn babies on Saturday. The Sanctuary for the Unborn Ordinance recognizes that unborn babies are valuable human beings who deserve to be protected under the law. It prohibits abortions within city limits and outlines legal consequences for abortionists who abort unborn babies. It does not penalize women who seek or have abortions, and it does not prohibit abortions when the mother's life is at risk. It shall be unlawful for any person to procure or perform an abortion of any type at any stage of pregnancy in the city of Lubbock, Texas, the ordinance states. It also defines an abortion as the, quote, act of using or prescribing an instrument, a drug, a medicine, or any other substance, device, or means with the intent to cause the death of an unborn child of a woman known to be pregnant. The ordinance is both public and private enforcement mechanisms. The public enforcement mechanism establishes fines against the abortionist and anyone who helps with an abortion within city limits. However, it cannot be enforced until Roe v. Wade is overturned. However, the private enforcement mechanism is immediate. It makes abortionists and those who help them liable in tort to a surviving relative of the uh, aborted unborn child, including the unborn child's mother, father, grandparents, siblings, or half-siblings, meaning the abortionist can be sued for aborting the unborn child, which means they'll go after their bank account. So what I'm betting is less abortions are going to be happening in Lubbock after that. Along with voting to outlaw abortions, Dixon said the people of Lubbock also are supporting mothers and babies in need. For example, last week he said the pro-life club Raiders Defending Life at Texas Tech gave out 14 scholarships to pregnant and parenting students on campus. 
Friends, this is what represents the beliefs and values of Lubbock, Texas. To date, 25 other cities in Texas and Nebraska also have passed sanctuary for the unborn ordinance, and more are considering them this spring. Abortion activists have tried to stop the sanctuary of the unborn effort, but last year pro-lifers won a victory when the ACLU dropped its lawsuit challenging sanctuary for the unborn ordinances in seven other Texas cities. Look, folks, this is what happens when when the people say, because we've been told for a long time, hey, let the people vote. We were told that with marriage, let the people vote. And what happened? The people voted and said marriage is between a man and a woman. And then the courts came in and said, hold on. We, you know, and the left said, when we said let the people vote, we thought they were going to vote a certain way. Since they didn't vote the way we wanted them to, we got to get the courts involved and the courts changed that. Now they say, hey, everybody in the country believes that abortion is okay. Let the people vote. And then in Lubbock, what happened? 62% said, yeah, abortion's not okay. We don't want it in our city. Now, now what I don't understand is New York can say, Chick-fil-A, you're not coming here. But Lubbock can't say Planned Parenthood, you're not coming here. How does that work? Vermont can say, McDonald's, you're not coming here. Walmart, you're not coming here. We're going to create an atmosphere where you will not thrive. But a city in Nebraska, a city in Texas can't say, hey, we're going to create an atmosphere where an abortion clinic will not thrive. You see the hypocrisy? Let the market decide. Let the voters decide. And the reason why I'm comfortable saying that is because I see poll after poll after poll that shows the vast majority of Americans want to see restrictions on abortions. It's just the reality. It's the same reason why when, when we see, when, when say the waste management is looking to, to create a new landfill, look, everybody knows that we gotta have a place to take trash, right? Everybody knows that. We, we gotta have a place to take our trash. So we may, you know, if, the, if it's with the city or if you live in the county, you may pay an extra fee so you can put a trash can at the end of your driveway. But, but when, when they come into your city and say, hey, we're going to put a landfill right next to your subdivision, what happens? People freak out. No, you're not. Now, we want you to take our trash, but you're not going to put it next to my subdivision. So this is what we're going to see. A lot of these cities, a lot of these folks that are saying, abortion is amazing. Let everybody get an abortion. And then they say, hey, we're going to put an abortion clinic right next to your subdivision. They're going to go, oh, oh, oh I don't want to drive by it every day. And even the abortion industry is saying, look, we're not going to put it next to your subdivision. We're actually going to go target uh, certain areas within the community that are poverty stricken. And you know how I know that? Go look where abortion clinics are located. And that's where they're located. You see, those folks don't get a get a choice. Those folks don't get to say, hey, hey we don't want this in our neighborhood. No one listens to them. So here you have a a city, over 250,000 people in this city saying, we don't want an abortion clinic in our city. And not just that, we don't want any abortions performed in our city. What's wrong with that? You see, what's smart about this bill from a political standpoint is it's playing the right game. And I hate to talk about it that way. But when you play games like this politically, 
at some point, somebody's going to flip that on its head and say, okay, now we're going to create these to protect the unborn. And that's what they just did at Lubbock. And the fact that Lubbock did it, what, what that's going to do now is there's going to be other larger cities going, we were waiting. We were nervous. We didn't want to be the first large city. But now that Lubbock has done it, uh, we feel comfortable moving forward. So this is just the beginning. And so I'm anxious to see what, what happens moving forward with not just cities in Texas and Nebraska, but all over the country. We'll talk more when we come back. As we finish up today, look, uh, hopefully it's been fruitful, the conversation and, and some things maybe you weren't aware of. And, and I think a lot of times we uh, we get so overwhelmed with information. It, it's easy to do that nowadays. Uh, there's all kinds of news happening, and, and it's not, you know, we talked about it before on the show that in years past, you know, years and years ago before social media, you know, if something happened in Chicago or something happened in New York, uh, you might read about it in the Sunday paper. Y- your local news might briefly talk about it, but but it didn't kind of affect you like it does today. And today, something happens in Chicago, and you immediately see it on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, 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 or your local news or cable news. Something happens in New York, you immediately see it. And so because of that, we, we are getting so much information. It's, it's information overload. And then there's so many things that we should care about. We're being told, you have to care about this. You need to have a statement prepared on this. What are your thoughts on this? And it's impossible. It's impossible. So what I try to do here every week is just bring some news to you, some some information to you concerning life and concerning abortion across the state and across the country, across the globe. So that, hey, these are the things that I've looked at this week that I think deserve your attention. That's my goal. Now, are there other things happening? That I may not get to or may not touch on? Yeah, absolutely. Are there things that happen that, that, that during the recording of this show I wasn't able to get to or, or something changed, but you know, a week later? Absolutely. Because there's so much information. And so as soon as I, as soon as I record this show, as soon as you listen to it live at Joy 620 or as soon as I upload it to, uh, to our website or to podcast, it's out of date. And it's hard to keep up with all those things. But but these are the few stories that I think were important that, that you needed to to be aware of. So good things happening in the state of Tennessee. Good things happening in Lubbock, Texas. Good things happening in the Catholic Church. And and so so as we hear these things, we, we need to think about how we frame that conversation, how we how we talk to folks about it, how we think about it. And, and as I said earlier, there is no gray area when it comes to abortion. You know, some of you listening to this may have differing opinions when it comes to the pandemic. You may have differing opinions when it comes to the vaccine or when it comes to um, wearing masks or not wearing masks, going going to concerts or not going to concerts. You may have differing opinions on should you watch rated R movies or not watch rated R movies. Should you be on social media or not be on social media? Should there be voter ID or should there not be voter ID? You You may have differing opinions on those things. Because there's gray area. And in, in a lot of those scenarios, I can go, well, I see that side and I see this side. And, and that, that argument makes sense. And you know what? The other side's argument makes sense. But when it comes to abortion, there is no gray area. 
If we believe that it is a life in the womb, then it's the, the discussion's over. It's a life, period. And should be protected, period. Full stop. No gray area. In the same way that when I see someone walking down the road, that's a life, period. I mean, we, we have laws on the books that protect reptiles that, are, that no one even knows about. We have laws on the book that protect, in, in the state of New Jersey, I've talked about it a number of times, you cannot slaughter a cow that is pregnant. Why? Because they want to protect the calf growing inside of the cow. So there's laws on the book in New Jersey that protect an unborn calf. While there's also laws on the books in New Jersey that will allow for a baby to be aborted up to nine months. It, you can't make that up. But I'm the crazy one. And so as we think about these things, there's a lot of gray areas when it comes to a number of different political issues. There is no gray area when it comes to abortion. And you know how I know that? Joe Biden, for most of his political career, said, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't think my faith and I don't think that that policy should dictate whether a woman can have an abortion or not. You see the squishiness there and you see where that leads to. Where does that lead? That leads to him now saying in 2021 that taxpayers should pay for abortion, that abortion should be allowed all the way up to birth, that there should be no restrictions on any of it. Squishiness on these type of issues leads you to that. And that position where he stands today is a nonsensical, anti-biblical, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian position. It just is. And so there's no gray area when it comes to that. I'll talk to you about taxes and masks and vaccines and pandemics. We can talk about a lot of gray area. But when it comes to abortion, no gray area. And I'm unapologetically standing for the life of the unborn. And I'm not going to apologize for that ever. We'll talk to you next week.